0: previously on the sports refuge podcast
1: we didn't go out there to try to impress anybody you know try to break records it was all for fun and we just loved the game
0: from delaware almost live this is a sports refuge podcast this is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports and now here's your host earl holland Welcome to episode 38 of The Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. This week's guest, Andre Watson, was someone I first met during my time at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore and was among a small group of classmates who pursued a career in print journalism, along with one of my previous guests, Linwood Outlaw, and myself included. What I did not know until recently about Andre was that he was a lifelong fan of professional wrestling, which began with his great-grandfather taking him to wrestling shows. In this episode, the first of two parts, Watson and I discuss his love for pro wrestling and how it has changed for both good and bad over the years. We'll also share our thoughts on the rise of all elite wrestling, missed opportunities for wrestlers to be crowned world champion in WWE, and the significance of Kofi Kingston winning the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 35. And now, here is part one of my interview with Andre Watson. Andre Watson is one of the few people I know from UMEs, along with one of our previous guests, Linwood Outwall. We were probably maybe among the triumvirate of reporters who got into journalism, and most of us probably got out of journalism, probably wisely enough as it was. And I know that Andre is a big wrestling fan. And I wanted to talk to him about a lot of his experiences attending WrestleMania, attending the G1, attending a, a whole bunch of other things. And I'm glad to have Andre here. How are you doing today, Andre?
1: Doing all right, man. It's, uh, you know, it's good to talk to you. It's been a long time. I haven't seen you since uh, the UMS days. I know we keep in touch via Facebook. It's, uh, but it's good to, uh, to be with you and to talk uh, some wrestling.
0: Oh, yeah. I tell you, man, wrestling, and that's one of the things I always thought about it growing up. 94 was when I started watching it was like the tail end of the end of WrestleMania 10 because I know I was right in the middle of the Bretton Owen rivalry. And things like that. And I remember WCW Hogan was just coming in. That was pretty much my benchmark. And they always say for for wrestling fans, there's a 10 year window that you'll follow wrestling and then you sort of maybe fall out of it, maybe because you've gotten older and other things, life happens and stuff like that. And I'll agree, basically from 94 to 2004 was that window, especially it didn't help at UMES if you lived on campus and they didn't have Spike TV right around the time that Raw moved from USA you pretty much were out of the loop.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a good analogy. You know, I talked to our buddy Linwood all the time about this. Um, you know, I, I've been a wrestling fan ever since I was probably four or five years old. As the story goes, my great grandfather, uh, when I was living with my grandparents in South Carolina, he used to take me to wrestling, um, you know, to Columbia, South Carolina, to Greenville, South Carolina. And in the something where my grandparents lived to see, Jim Crockett promotion. So that would be stuff like, you know, Dusty and flair as my grandmother referred some dust guy and some flair. I don't, I don't know where he took you, but he, I remember that. And she would always tell me that. And so that's how it started. You know, my great grandfather was a wrestling fan. My, my father's not a wrestling fan. My grandfather wasn't a wrestling fan, but my great grandfather was. So he's the one that got me into wrestling. And I just kind of always stuck with it. You know, you talk about that 10 year window. Um, I've seen a lot of friends come and go as far as, you know, especially when, you know, it got hot in the late 90s. People, everybody's a wrestling fan. But to your point, um, you know, I stuck with it. And really the only time I can remember in my life that I didn't watch was what you were talking about with UMES, and it was freshman year. Um, so for, for me in Limwood, it was, you know, 2001, right to the tail end of the invasion angle. Um, we got on campus at UMES. We didn't have cable. So from August of 2001, all the way, with the exception of winter break um, between December and, and January 2002, we didn't watch any, anything from like August to like May. So that was pretty much the whole invasion storyline, um, and then whatever else happened after that, the first brand split that happened in March of 2002. But other than that, man, there's never been a time in my life that I've really took a. Consistent break from wrestling. It's just always been pretty much my thing.
0: And recently, yeah, I was watching up to the run to WrestleMania. And after that, I think the first Raw after WrestleMania, I just sort of tuned out and I was watching intermittently in between. It's just, I don't know. Maybe I want to not use the excuse that maybe we've gotten older and we tend to sometimes live in the past because. You know, I think about the Rick Bettino thing when he took over to Celtics where he said, hey, Larry Bird's not walking through that door. You know, Danny mm-hmm. Ainge is not walking through that door, even though he did a few years later and stuff like that. I mean, we know Hogan is not walking through that door. Savage is not walking through that door. Sting, the way he was, he's not walking through that door. A lot of these guys are not walking through that door. They're 60 or 70 years old now, and you can't expect everything to remain the same. Maybe it's just because we've gotten old. Maybe we just live in a nostalgic time maybe that's might be one of the reasons why I've sort of fallen off. Or maybe just the, the quality of the product isn't as good, in my opinion, anymore. And maybe I haven't reached out and watched things like Ring of Honor. I watched a little bit of, of New Japan when I had cable and had access and things like that. But I don't know. I just feel like it's not the same the way it used to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's it's definitely a lot of what you said. I mean, a lot of people, again, the 10-year window you're talking about, a lot of people aged out, you know. If you think about, 20 years ago, and all the guys you used to see at the Nitro parties, <laughs> during during Nitro, right, during college, at the frat parties, those guys at that time, what, 19, 20 years old, 20 years later, 40, they got a family probably, have careers, they don't have time for it. Um, then there are people that, you know, just, like you said, Stone Cold's not coming through that door, The Rock isn't coming back, Hogan isn't coming back, they probably just said, forget it, there aren't characters that they've fallen in love with like they did. 20 years ago with those characters, so it's that too. But to your to your other point, man, there's just so much wrestling out today that you know if you want to watch wrestling, there is something for everyone now because there's just so much out. And I, I go back and forth because I love the Attitude Era so much. That time, the Monday Night War, just flipping channels on the Monday night and seeing who was going to show up on on Nitro next because they were just taking everybody from WCW. I go back and forth in my mind like what's the best time in wrestling for me during my life? Was it that tail end of the, the, the territories that I kind of got a little bit, um, I was able to see a little bit, you know, before Vince got everything, brought everything up? Was it the Monday Night War era? Or is it today where you have, because of streaming, you know, you have access to WWE on cable. You're going to have access to AEW on cable come October via streaming. You have New Japan World. You have Honor Club or Ring of Honor. There's just so much out there, and it's tough to keep up. But the point is, there's so much for everybody that I think that, you know, if WWE isn't your thing, you can find something else out there to get invested in, I think, and, and, and still enjoy wrestling, even, you know, as we get older in age.
0: Yeah, you know what, And that actually, you made a good point. I think about, there was a time I went to an Orioles game, and Dalton Castle was there as the <laughs> Ring of Honor champion, and I was telling him, like, I just fell out of interest in wrestling. He's like, he said there's more than WWE and things like that, yeah. and yeah, and it's true, it's just, I don't know, maybe... I don't want to feel like I've aged out of it. That's that's the one thing. I don't want to feel like, okay, I'm almost 40, and I'm like, oh, man. I don't feel ashamed watching wrestling. Like I said, it's interesting. I'm a guy growing up, I'm like, you know, things that I watch. I watch game shows. I watch wrestling, which is interesting when you find out there's a large population of people who grew up watching game shows or game show fans who are big wrestling fans, too. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to see the intersection and stuff like that. I watched basically everything under the sun on television, which... You know, maybe that's probably uh, another hidden issue that I have by itself. But I think that I don't want it to be perceived that it's lowbrow, because honestly, I don't judge people who watch The Bachelor. I don't judge people who watch The Real Housewives of of whatever and stuff like that. You know, I, I don't see people get criticized for what they watch anymore, especially wrestling fans. I mean, that's one thing that I've had a discussion with multiple people when it comes to wrestling, it's like, you know, you hear people say, you know, it's fake, you know, it's fake. I'm like, really? And and the biggest thing I always like telling people, man, die hard. I didn't know it was based off a true story.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, It's not so much anymore, but we are still fighting that stigma out there as wrestling fans. But again, like, like you kind of alluded to the comebacks always, well, I mean, you watch game of Thrones, right? I mean, that's not real. So, I mean, I, it's a TV show, you know, based on athletic competition that's scripted. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but I think, you know, especially the Attitude era helped that as well. There's so many people watching it that it kinda eased, you know, the blow as far as the stigma on wrestling, because everybody got involved. I mean, when you see like I remember, God, how long ago was it? Uh, it was only a couple of years ago, like LeBron, like LeBron's a big wrestling fan. Matter of fact, no, it was either his rookie season or one of his earliest years in the league, front row at Raw, and he talked about how much of a, a fan he was. I think they had Undertaker at a, a Cavaliers game a couple of years ago for the finals when they were one of the years they were faced uh, Golden State. So you had a football player, I forget which one, last year arrived at a training camp in a pickup truck blasting Stone Cold music. So there are a lot of wrestling fans out there, and the, pro- the problem is, I think, that because of... It's stigmatized so much, we have a lot of closeted wrestling fans. And people are kind of afraid to admit it. But it, it gets better when you do see that they are more and more out there, so we have people come out of the closet, so to speak. So it's, it's getting better, but, um, you know, we still have a way to go before we get, um, I guess, true acceptance. Even with Vince McMahon getting damn near a billion dollars worth of TV deals. <laughs> so...
0: Do you feel that the age of being more TV-friendly and production-friendly, it's lost a bit of an edge, especially when it comes to the sporadicness of promos and things like that? I assume that, at worst case, especially in the 80s, someone would record a promo. If they mess up, they'd do it again, but it's basically you know they go straight off off the cuff. I don't think that happens as much anymore. I know that maybe maybe AEW's sort of starting to swing that way where it's a little more off the cuff and in worst case bullet points if you need anything, but I, mm-hmm. I like to believe especially with the experience of like Cody who who learned from one of the greatest uh, minds in wrestling that these guys have to be themselves and they have to be able to, to cut promos or you have a manager. Like you saw what Sean Spears has a telly Blanchett as his uh, manager or his advisor. Now. I mean, I feel like that's something that's maybe slowly swaying back.
1: Well, yeah. I hope AEW can bring that because WWE, like you said, it's just way, 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 way too scripted. Um, Now, now, now granted, you know, there are guys that, that I think that helps there are guys that it also hurts because like you said, like like a Cody who, who grew up in wrestling, you know, and watched his father cut some of the greatest promos of all time, watched Ric Flair cut some of the greatest promos of all time. Um, you know, so he knows about bullet points. I mean, because that's what his dad did, because his dad was a booker in WCW and Crockett for so many years. So, you know, that's what they did. But when WWE, everything is just so scripted and rehearsed, it comes off that way. It doesn't come off genuine. And like you said, some of your best characters are really just extensions of themselves. Like The Rock, or Stone Cold is a better example. You know, he talks all the time. Stone Cold Steve Austin is just Steve Austin turned up a thousand degrees. But the core of that character is him. He loves drinking beer. He loves flipping the bird. He's no nonsense. I mean, that's it was basically him turned up a thousand degrees. And those are your best types of characters. Rick Flair. Kind of the same way. It was just rick flair but turned up a notch so um i think if aew can bring wrestling back to that i think it would be a good thing you know and there's some people that like wwe the way it is now granted it's not the masses like it was 20 years ago but some people do like descriptive promos but it doesn't work for everybody and they need to be more consistent with the manager you know i think wwe's gotten away from it Um, to the detriment of a lot of characters over the past. They've hurt a lot of characters over the past 10, 15 years with their refusal to accept the manager. Now, obviously, you know, Paul Heyman is pretty much, he's really, uh, and Zelina Vega, those are really your two managers in WWE right now. And those are by necessity because, number one, Brock Lesnar, I mean, if you go back to 2012 when he first came back to WWE, they tried to stick him out there by himself to cut promos. And it did not go well, and he stormed backstage, as the story goes, and said, "We need to go get Paul Heyman." And the next week on TV, or two weeks later, Paul Heyman was back, and you see how the actors has uh, flourished ever since because Paul is just that damn good, and Brock needed them. Um, Zelina Vega, she's fantastic, and she's needed because Andrade doesn't really speak English that well. He's gotten a lot better since he's he's been signed, but he's still not a person that can go out. He doesn't have a a grasp of the language so he can go out and cut your 10-minute monologue that Vince McMahon wants you to cut. So I just think they need to be more consistent with the managers and really try to hone in on which guys or girls really need the manager and stick them with them, and then which guys do you have that don't need them. And they can go out and cut your solidically 10-minute, 20-minute promos, but not everybody can do that, and I think that's a problem with them trying to pigeonhole everybody into doing that. And hopefully AEW – That'll be something they'll do much more, you know, so it can help the talents get over that don't have the speaking skills that a Cody Rhodes has or, you know, or the young bucks or somebody like that.
0: Yeah. And you know what we were talking about that Leo Rush, Leo Rush was a fit for Lashley until he ran his mouth too much. And then he just basically, uh, yeah, man, I I always thought, man, Lashley, but going back to the Paul Heyman thing, I'll get to the Lashley thing. It worked for everybody. It worked with him, even being CM Punk, even though CM Punk didn't need him. It didn't work for uh, Cesaro, though. It felt like it was just a disaster for Cesaro. But I, I, maybe this just it, it one of those things is sort of oil and water, and you know, you take away the swing that everybody loved. Everybody loved the swing. That
1: was- see, it wasn't that, see. I think that's more to do with it. I don't know if it was necessarily Paul Heyman. I think it was. Well, number one, it came out of nowhere, right? So yeah. that was the night after WrestleMania 30. Um, because Lumwood and I were there, and you know the night before, you know he's he's over like Rover, I guess in that Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, because that was the first one. He's doing the swing. He's just over. We're cheering for him. The next time he comes out, and he's just with Paul Heyman, or he, he's the next Heyman guy. And I'm like, this is random. We were cheering him, and now we're gonna make him a heel. And I think that's what kind of never got it. Out of first gear, it was a fact that it came out of nowhere. The crowd was falling in love with him. We were getting behind him, and all of a sudden they flip him back. So he goes from the, you know, there were the what, the, the real Americans with uh, with Swagger and uh, Zeb Coulter, and he does a battle royal thing. They 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 split up, I guess that night if I remember correctly, and then the next night he's out with Paul Heyman, and it's just like what. I, like, why didn't you run with him being a baby face? So I think that it was a combination of factors as to why that didn't work for Paul Heyman. Do I think Cesaro could use Paul Heyman? Um, possibly. I mean, he, he speaks, I think, like five or seven languages, something like that, but he's not a guy that seems like he can go out and cut your 20-minute, 10-minute monologue promo. So maybe from that standpoint, yeah. I just think the execution and that whole thing but Paul Heyman is why it really just never got off the ground.
0: I feel like there's an over-reliance on those long, long monologues to start the show. I mean, have we learned nothing from the days where Triple H would start the show off for 15 and 20 minutes? Yeah. Uh, and going through that, especially when there's not really anyone who's dynamic to, you know, there's no Rock, mm-hmm. there's no Austin, there's no Foley to give him his comeuppance. It's just... Uh, now it just feel like droning on. Even Nitro didn't start like that. They started with the Cruiserweights. The first match, most of the time, you'd see it's Rey Mysterio. It's Viano 4, Viano 5. You'd see uh, Jerry Lynn dress up as Mr. JL and, and Jushin Thunder Lager and all those guys. It's just... Yeah, you gotta start off with the action. I mean, I don't care even if it's like the world champ curtain jerking to start the show. You gotta have something, some action instead of one raw where it was nearly an hour before they even got into wrestling. That is far too much.
1: Yes, too much. Now, now, I mean, there has to be a balance. Now, you know, Vince Russo will tell you and Bischoff will tell you that studies have shown even raw. I mean, you know, and they did a lot of wrestling this past Monday. I saw, but even you know, raw. You know, they said studies. WWE said. We've seen the ratings and wrestling, long wrestling matches don't draw ratings. People tune out. And I get it, but there needs to be a balance um, between both. And I think to your point, if you look at the format of Raw, with starting with the long drawn out promos, that really started in 97 with Bret Hart and during his whole run as a heel um, with with the Hart Foundation in 1997 before he left to go to WCW. It, that really started it, and he would come out every week and cut these great promos. But that was 22 years ago, and the format, for the most part, has been the same ever since. So I think if we just get a good mix of both, and hopefully AEW will provide that, then it should be good. But, again, it's not everybody can do these 20-minute promos. Not every show should start with a 20-minute promo. Not every show should start with a 20-minute match. It has to be this balance that they've, for some reason, they haven't been able to find.
0: Yeah, and I I think there should be the blend. I I mean, even going back to just watching some of the WWF superstars on the network— And just Mm -hmm. looking from there, you know, you have the intro, it's Vince and Mr. Perfect or whoever else, you know, behind that green screen in the Stanford studios talking about this, and then they go right to the action. I feel like something like that needs to happen, or they should maybe use one of their other shows to sort of test that format out and go straight into it. Sometimes less talk is needed, more action, but there's got to be a way to blend it all. And I wrote like a blog post a while ago, just talking about when Gene Okerlund died, you notice Mm -hmm. that... Without him, I feel like he sold the show. He he promoted the show. He was a guy who shilled everything, and he did it with a perfect blend where it fit perfectly, and, you know, people would say, hey, you know, if Mean Jean's there, something interesting is going to happen. Somebody's going to say something. Even if the person who's giving out the promo, who's saying the promo, was complete garbage. I feel, like I feel like there's some things maybe from the early 90s that can still be utilized. Maybe the control center. Maybe, you know, an actual person, a personality that can actually interview people instead of like being the butt of jokes like Michael Cole, Kevin Kelly and all of them were. You never saw them treat Mean Gene like that. You never even saw them treat Todd Pengill like that. They never did. Only maybe when Vince Russo was in WCW, that stupid stuff that occurred. But, you know, I feel like some things from the 90s, not everything can be utilized and sort of make it A fresh product.
1: No, you're correct. And, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up Gene because Gene, there's never been, there probably never will be another Gene, um, you know, for a number of reasons. Number one, because he was just that good. And number two, they don't want to try to find anybody like that because, you know, they just can't. If you look at the way the, uh, the backstage announcers are now in WWE, they're there to ask a question. The person answers... And then they, the person walks away, and they just look off into the, the, the glare of the, of the direction as the person's walking away. This, this, the interviews go the exact same way all the time. And it ends with the, the announcer with a befuddled look on their face as they're staring off into space. Gene Oakland didn't do that. You know, if you go back and watch when Hulk Hogan turned heel at Bash at the Beach 96, Gene Oakland had as much to do with that shit getting over than Hulk Hogan did. You know, when all the stuff is flying into the ring, all the trash and all that, Gene's like, look at this trash in the ring, Hogan. This is going to be you if you want to run with guys like Hall and Nash. I mean, he was just, he was disgusted by the fact that Hulk Hogan could turn his back on all the fans, and he really sold it. You don't have guys or announcers or females or males that are doing that sort of thing that are really, as you said, helping getting storylines over, and Gene did that. So there's so much right now that is missing, and that can be. You don't like you said. You don't want to retread everything, but there's so much that's missing that can be that can be borrowed from, I should say, from the past and kind of make the product, you know, better. Not everything that was done 20, 30 years ago was bad. There are some good things that I think could help the product that they could take and borrow from.
0: Yeah, and yeah, like I said, it's just. I don't know. I feel like maybe Vince doesn't want the personalities to get over overshadowing the wrestlers. And maybe that's an issue. If you feel like if someone's going to overshadow the wrestlers, maybe you might need to do something creative to make those wrestlers get over. I just think about John Moxley, Dean Ambrose's interview with Chris Jericho talking about some of the lines that Vince had him say about, you know, Roman and his cancer. I'm like. I am yeah. speechless by some of that stuff. And this is the guy who maybe stumbled into luck. And the more you look at it, the order he gets, you may think this dude might've stumbled into good luck to having all these successful things going on and just got lucky. And all of a sudden, when you notice, Hey, you might be broke or you might be in jail. All of a sudden you end up having to turn to your guts and wiles and be as cutthroat. Maybe is sort of like the old promoters used to be in the old days, but now it's just like you're too comfortable and there really isn't anything. I mean, impact imploded. And that's just because Dixie Carter didn't know anything business-wise because you brought the same elements that sort of killed WCW in the tail end. At least that's the one thing AEW isn't doing right now. They're going to, I think Vince is injecting his own poison again into the company. I mean, Bischoff, I don't really think it's going to be very effective. But, yeah, Heyman will probably do a lot. I mean, sort of like getting Cornette to do the other stuff, and I know Cornette's not going to do anything. (laughs) He's like, (laughs) he's got his NWA stuff, he's got his MLW stuff, that's it. I don't think, and you actually give Heyman real creative a license to do stuff and not have him deal, like, what would happen with December to dismember and all that. Who knows what it's going to be like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you brought up an interesting point, and I kind of, I don't know if I want to paint Vince in that picture, but what you talked about, you know, as far as him maybe getting lucky, I just for a quick second, I I feel that way about Jerry Krause, the former general manager of the Chicago Bulls. You know, Jerry Krause pretty much lucked into Michael Jordan, you know, Portland should have taken Jordan, but they already had Clyde Drexler so, you know, he was stuck with him at that number three pick, right? And then after that, you know, they he made a good trade to get Scottie Pippen. Uh, I'm not saying he didn't do that, but the key piece was Jordan, and they kind of lucked into Jordan. So my feeling has been over the past, like, maybe like five, ten years, is the guy lucked into the, the six championships, and you saw what kind of real, you know, deal maker he was once Jordan left. So I can see your point with Vince, but I would counter that in the 80s, even though Vince steered the ship, he surrounded himself with great minds that had his ear that he trusted, your Pat Patterson's, you know, your gorilla monsoons, people like that. Uh, Bruce Pritchard, you know, throughout the 90s, after Bruce, you know, got there in 87 and, you know, rose up through the ranks, he surrounded himself with people he trusted. And then, you know, pretty much ever since the Attitude Era ended he purchased WCW, there's been nothing but yes men, and that hasn't helped. So what we see is Vince's unchallenged vision of the product. Um... And like you talked about before with Paul Heyman in, 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 the, in the WWE ECW back in 06, you know, that was pretty much, yeah, Paul, we're going to put you in charge, but final say is with Vince, even though this is ECW. And that's kind of what he walked himself back into now. And like you said, the only way that changes is if Vince kind of takes the reins off and says, okay, pal, you know, I'll let you run it. And hopefully the XFL kicks off, so that'll be a thing. Now, Bischoff, I don't think he – Bischoff, in my opinion, is not – some creative genius. Bischoff um, is a one trick pony, you know, with the NWO, and that's not even his angle. He will freely admit that he took it from Japan. So um, I think he was brought more to talk to Fox executives because he's very good at dealing with television executives, whether it be Turner, you know, whether it be you know, Spike TV with TNA, uh, and now with Fox. So I think he would do well in that regard as far as creative I'm not looking at Bischoff coming in and shaking up creative and saying oh yeah SmackDown's gonna be so much better because Bischoff is driving creative I just don't think he's he's a creative guy in that sense I think he's a good businessman I think he's a good um, communicator and collaborator and deal maker if you want to say but as far as wrestling creative storylines I don't think that's his thing so we'll see we'll see but um yeah I mean there's just there's so much wrong with the WWE product right now and then they're trying, you know, I, I guess, you know, bringing in Heyman and Bischoff. this is their the signal that they're trying, quote-unquote. But I think it's going to be a, a long road because, you know, we've had 18 years, you know, of Vince being pretty much a top dog. Like you said, TNA was there, but they really weren't a threat. Even when they went up, you know, head-to-head head on Monday night, it was cool. Like, I was excited for it. I was like, yes, the war is back. And that lasted about six weeks until they ran back to Thursday nights with their tail tucked between their legs because they were just getting stomped in the ratings. So Vince has really been unopposed for 18 years and he's going to be unopposed again on Monday because AEW is not running head to head. But the fact that they're owned by a billionaire and they have the resources, they're going to be on TNT. That should be cause for change in WWE. And hopefully it will be because that'll just make the rest of them better, better for the fans, better for the wrestlers, all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've watched a little bit of some of the AEW stuff. I mean, trying to catch some excerpts and stuff like that. I I really want to catch out, hopefully if it's still available on the Bleacher Report live stuff, uh, some of the the previous events. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like... When you look at some of the product, and maybe just because I'm influenced by some of the stuff I listen to, it's like Cody knows what he's doing. It seems like the other guys, like Omega and the Young Bucks, I'm like, um, too. again, that might be because I heavily listen to a lot of Jim Cornette stuff. So it's like, Cody knows It's uh... like. like Cody seems to know the dusty style of, of working things. Yeah. And, I don't know. Maybe... I'm not knocking Omega. Hey, I saw the match with him and the doll. I thought it was funny. But, I mean, it's just... Hey, I I don't know. I haven't seen it, and, and I'm not gonna let that heavily influence it. I just, like... I know I'm, I'm willing to watch it to open mind that's the one thing given an open mind I feel like I, I'll admit I watch more of the 10 pounds of gold more than I've watched being the elite so I know a lot more okay. the WA stuff than I do about the young bucks and, and Omega and all that so it's like yeah they need to make it a little more easy to find out stuff hopefully when they go on TV they promote a lot of the YouTube shows and things like that to get a more better insight because that way you, you know you get an integrated product where you get to promote those things on YouTube and then people have a better understanding and they'll come back Watching the yep. show with a, an idea of what's going on. I mean I mean, even WWE doesn't promote their 24-7 belt stuff that, that shows up on Twitter. I just found that because I was listening to other podcasts, like, oh man, you gotta see, oh. you know, our truth on the airplane <laughs> trying, to win the belt, trying to win the belt. Trying to win the belt and things best like that.
1: Thing, it's the best thing in the company right now. It's tremendous. I mean, and I don't know if this is just the guys doing that stuff or they have a creative writer that's helping them with it, but it has been tremendous. Uh, the WWE 24-7 stuff on social media. Drake Maverick, R-Truth, they have taken that thing to a new level. You know, when when it first came about, I just rolled my eyes. Uh, We already did this 20 years ago with the hardcore title, the 24-7 rule. But man, they have taken that and they've put a 2019 spin on it like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the stuff with the airport, like you said. Drake Maverick on his honeymoon, losing the belt. And then even on Raw on Monday, I mean, which... I haven't been that much of a fan of the stuff they've done with the belt on Raw. I've been really just more into the social media aspect of the belt, but have Maria win it on Raw, and I just know for a fact that, because she talked about her sonogram, she's going to go to her sonogram, and somebody's going to be the doctor, and she's going to be laying on a table, and there's going to be a referee as a doctor and a wrestler as a doctor. They're going to put their finger on her belly. And the, the, the other doctor is going to be a and He's going to count one, two, three. And it's going to be R-Truth for somebody stealing the ball away. I know that's going to happen. I can see it coming a mile away. And it's going to be hilarious, even though I can see it happening.
0: Yeah, r truth has really been a character that really been solid. I mean, yeah, he had his ups and downs, but when he had the little Jimmy, and then I always think of this one scene when he was right in the forefront with John Cena when he came out. I don't know where he's at, and he's dressed up in Confederate uniforms singing with Little yep. Jimmy. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's uh, you ha- you know, it had to be funny if Vince is almost trying to keep uh, keep a straight face on it. I mean, and, and the fact that you know this guy's an NWA champion too, and <laughs> yeah. people tend to forget about that. And this guy has really taken a lot of chicken salad out of chicken shit. I don't know how he did it, but this man is very underrated when it comes to certain things. I know there's a certain point when him and Gold Dust were tagging, and before the 24-7 belt, he was just sort of a non-entity. But man, after that, if there isn't a spot for the Hall of Fame for him just bringing the 24-7 belt to life, I don't know who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame after that.
1: Yeah, he's... He's been great. I mean, like you said, I mean, I, I think his heel run in 2010, 2011 was some great stuff. I mean, the stuff with Little Jimmy and, and, and looking around for Little Jimmy and when he turned heel and him and The Miz being a heel team <laughs> with the remix to What's Up? Was You Suck? It was tremendous. He's the ageless wonder. I can't believe he's like probably pushing 50 and still looks like he did like 15 years ago. He's just. Um, He's a great character for him. He'll do whatever, like you he said, he's taking chicken shit, making the chicken salad. He's done whatever they've asked for him, and he's gotten it over <laughs> to a certain degree. So, good for him.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I know one of the things before we move on is that I look back at some of the more ridiculous promos that have come out, especially lately, and I feel like comparing nxc i haven't really watched NXT that much i was watching i was trying to watch the the most recent war games i know that's been a while ago but i feel like that y- you wonder how much of a hand triple h has in the creative aspect and things like that or maybe this is since nxc is a passion project vince is leaving that alone because again it's not being marketed to the masses it's not on a major network and things like that and i think that you get to see that stuff thrive and that might be one of the, the best things about it right now, you know, until all of a sudden those guys get moved up and get their uh, gimmicks ruined. Like, you know, you look at Asuka, you look at uh, Nakamura yep. and things like that. Yeah, I, I think maybe NXT, of course, is a hidden gem. I I need to watch it more often. I, I'll admit You do. Not enough time. You do. I there. mean...
1: Yeah, you're right. There's not enough time in row, So you can't watch any. You can't watch everything. And that's, that's the problem. I mean, like I said, this might be the greatest time in wrestling, but it can also be exhausting if you're one of those people that want to try to keep up with everything. It just can't happen. You can't do it. People have lives. Like, if I was unemployed without a wife and just being a single dude, yes, I would sit here all day and watch wrestling all day. i will be able to watch everything. But that's not my life. So I got to pick and choose. But to your point, yes, Triple H handles all aspects of NXT. That is his baby He handles creative. He has his creative team down there, and he is, I've heard him say on many occasions on conference calls, because I get to listen to the NXT takeover, like he does a conference call with the media before every takeover. He's talked about, you know, he's obviously a big Ric Flair mark, as we saw during the Triple H reign of terror on Raw from like 2002 to 2004, where he really wanted to be Ric Flair from 1986. Um, grew his hair long and, 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 and permed it a little bit like Flair, would wear the suits and all that shit. Um, but he's a part for Jim Crockett Promotions and NXT, there are a lot of real storylines that get you invested in the characters. Stuff is not heavily scripted. It's a lot more you know, athletic-based. You don't have your corny aspects that you have on Raw. And again, to your point, he's taken a lot of characters that were ready to go on the main roster and make a splash and a change for the better. He has uh, watched them go up and be turned into crap by Vince's booking, you know, whether it's Oscar or Nakamura, like he said, or, you know, somebody like, uh, even when Ty Dillinger was in the company, um, you know, guys like that, you know, the revival before they, I guess, got thrown some money and resigned. I mean, the list goes on and on. We can sit here and probably have a whole podcast, about the, the NXT talents that Vince McMahon has ruined that were something in NXT where it seems like he has the opposite effect on other people, people that were not used in NXT to a certain degree. Vince has looked at and said, oh, I can do something with that, like Elias. Elias wasn't that big of a player in NXT, but he's turned into a, a really good act on the main roster. Braun Strowman never even had a match on NXT television, but we see what he's done on the main roster, mostly you know, because of the way he looks. I mean, that was Vince's pet project from the beginning. Because he's a big guy. Vince loves his monsters, So um, it kind of goes both ways. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of the negative when it comes to people going from NXT to the main roster and the results that they're seeing once they get uh, you know built up to the main roster. But I would say NXT is definitely a different product than what you have on the WWE main roster on Mondays and Tuesdays right now.
0: The look on my face when you said Braun Strowman, man, they ruined a good thing with him, man. The and, feats of yeah, strength, now he's ruined. The feats of yeah. strength is what got me over with Braun Strowman, I, and not <laughs> even at the expense of Roman Reigns. Just the fact he came, out, I'm not finished with you yet, and pushes over the ambulance. Yeah. That's yeah. what got me. That's what got me intrigued, and, I, and I'm like, put the belt on him now, put the belt on mm-hmm. him now, and mm-hmm. they ruined it. Especially as many times you get him punked out, the Brock, and all this other stuff and that really hurt my heart because man i was so in to seeing braun win that belt because everybody wanted it and all of a sudden you decide nah we're good and yeah that's worse that's the worst part of it because now he's just there Just like I thought, like with Lashley coming back, I wanted Lashley Lesnar a long time ago. They've been sitting on that. The fact they both have MMA backgrounds and things like that, they're both at the same age. Basically, everybody knows when you saw Lashley, you think Black Lesnar, that's all it is. They squandered that too, they ruined it. I think, really, just seeing the sparring between Leo Rush and uh, Paul Heyman over that stuff, using and you use using Leo Rush as a tool to get Lashley over as a face because, hey, you know, Brock's going to destroy him. But you know what? Lashley is there to save him, and that would have been worth Sure, the match probably would have been garbage like Undertaker Goldberg, but that still would have been worth it because these guys are legit guys who have MMA backgrounds, and that would have been the thing. I feel like it was just a waste that they squandered it, and now I don't even want to see it. Those guys in MMA, probably best Mike talkers there in wrestling, and we've seen it. They are subpar when it comes to the world of wrestling, but MMA, they'd be stars.
1: Yeah, and well the, the thing is with the MMA, you know, and you saw that when Brock was in, like you said, the Lashley, they're not scripted. So they're just going out there speaking from the heart. You know, and Brock was doing that for a little bit when he first came back in twenty twelve. They were trying to get him to just do what he did in MMA, but then they said, No, we're gonna script you, and then he couldn't do it, and that's when they brought Heyman in. But yeah, to your point on Lashley, uh, that'd have been great. And I don't think it would have been a bad match. You know, we saw with Brock and Goldberg at WrestleMania thirty three, they had a good match. You know, it was short, quick, it was it was powerful. And they got a lot of big spots in. I thought it was great. Um, and I think we could have had a similar thing with uh, with Lashley and Brock, but for whatever reason, they haven't gone that way yet. Lashley's been squandered. I've heard nothing but glowing things about Lashley from his time in TNA, when, which I didn't watch, but I heard he's nowhere near the character on WWE TV that he was in TNA. Like he was this brutal heel that was really good in TNA, from everything I heard. So, um, even from Mike Skills, you know, on down. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's just um, he's just another guy, like you said, just like Braun. I know Braun's had some circumstances. You know, he's gotten hurt at the wrong time. I think had he, had he not gotten hurt in December of uh, last year, he would have got the belt at the Royal Rumble. Um, and then I, so I don't know if Vince doesn't trust him anymore because every time they want to push him, he gets hurt. And me personally, I think they did him a disservice, you know, two years ago when he didn't win the Andre Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania 33. I thought that was a time to push him. And that could have been a time where you skyrocketed him, but they waited. They waited a year before he won that. So they've kind of fumbled him all, you know, pretty much since that stuff with Roman ended when he was a heel, um, you know, when he pushed the ambulance over and all that. They fumbled him ever since. So I, I don't know. I don't know if he's salvageable at this point. I think he's just going to be a guy, and, uh, you know, it is what it is.
0: And there's so many ways I want to go with this. First, I want to talk about another underused guy that pisses me off that they haven't put the belt on, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe should have had the belt Damn. a long time ago. And Damn. like I said, just the fact that crowd's behind him, they should have used Samoa Joe as the guy to get over, especially with this whole Roman thing. Honestly, he should have been the guy chasing. I think they squandered it with the AJ Styles stuff, especially while you got a good Daniel Bryan storyline, which led to Kofi getting the belt, which another thing I'll talk about because that takes me back to Lashley as well. I feel like Samoa Joe should have been the champ even if it's a transitional role him having the belt and you know even for two or three months i think that would have been great especially whoever beat him and especially if Samojo joe beat kofi and then roman beat Samojo joe for the belt this way you don't have to worry about what's going to happen if like oh, randy orton wins the belt it's like yeah i mean Orton yeah. had his belt yeah. time but yeah now, jump into the Kofi thing, I know we were talking about, and I saw your posts on, on Facebook, especially about everything that happened, especially him winning the belt at WrestleMania. I was glad for it. I'll tell you, that uh, elimination chamber, that made me a believer that Kofi should win this belt. Kofi should win this belt. And I honestly never thought they were going to pull the trigger. But I always think of other guys who should have been the champ before, and nothing against Kofi. I'm glad Kofi got the belt. I feel like Lashley could have been the champ. I yep. wonder if they're grooming Big E to eventually be a champ. I I, I don't know what's yep. going on with that. I always thought, I mean, and you look at Ring of Honor, you see Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal, which I'm surprised is criminal that WWE had never picked up Jay Lethal. That yep. was a disaster uh, uh, of not g- picking him up. Because Jay
1: Lethal, man, just by black machismo alone, made me a fan so, of yeah, Jay he's Lethal. entertaining me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's shown that he can do the sports entertaining and then create a funny character and that sort of thing. Yeah, so, but, uh, yeah, to hit on your point about, so, a quick story about Joe. So, yes, I mean, criminally underutilized, just disgusting. I just, uh, I remember sitting there, what was it, WrestleMania, um, uh, So 2017. So, he, he got brought up to the main roster in 2016 sometime at some point. You know, he was Triple H's heavy uh, in, his, in his match you know, the build-up leading towards the thing with Rollins at WrestleMania 33, and he was healthy, and they sat him back there, so he did not get to experience WrestleMania. I'm like, he can't do a run-in? Like, what the hell? Like, this is a guy that obviously has worked his butt off from Ring of Honor to TNA, you know, the NXT to now being WWE, and you guys are going to sit him back there, and he can't do a run-in for something he's been, he's been a part of the storyline? He can't do a run-in for this match? Like, what the heck? And then I felt so happy for him, you know, this year... When I saw that he, you know, he made the you know the card and he made his WrestleMania debut against Rey Mysterio. You know, obviously it was a short match because Rey was hurt, but just so happy for him. And they've yo-yoed him so much. Like you said, they should have gave him the belt. Um, you know, against AJ or even against Brock when they fought what, last year at Great Balls of Fire. And that was part of me, given his history in Ring of Honor. He won the Ring of Honor Championship in Philadelphia, and I guess in 2002 or something like that, 2003. And when Extreme Rules was in Philly, I had no. Interesting going because, again, as we'll get into, I don't really go to local wrestling. I just – rather travel for wrestling. <laughs> I don't know. It gets me away from South Jersey. Um, but I really thought about the day of, man, what if they put the belt on Joe? How cool would that be? You know, even though they wouldn't acknowledge it, but for longtime fans and for smart fans who know Joe's history, how cool would that be for him to win the WWE championship in Philly in the same town he won the ring Honor championship so many years ago? And then I – I went all the way to the day of the show, and I was like, "Man, should I go down here?" I was already out in the city to see Jim Ross and Comrade Thompson. Should I go to the arena and and buy a ticket? And then and someone said, "No, nah, they ain't put the belt on Joe. There's no way they yo-yo him too much." And as we saw on the show, they didn't put the belt on him. So yes, criminally underused, um, just just terrible, and I don't understand. Why they don't want to put the belt on him? I mean, you know, if you, if you go back to when he signed with the company in 2015, um, you know, he only signed to be in NXT working part-time and he still was going to do indie shots. And they put out that first Joe T-shirt and that thing sold out immediately. And then said, huh, okay, he can move merch. So that's really what fast-tracked him, <laughs> not only to getting signed full-time with NXT, but getting brought up to the main roster because he moves merchandise. And that's a big part of it. But I don't know why they... You know, I guess outside of that, they're like, eh, we just see you as another guy, another cog in the machine. We don't think the world championship material, which is is criminal. It's really criminal.
0: This isn't Hogan holding the belt for years. Okay, Savage holds the belt. Flair holds the belt. And, you know, this isn't like that stranglehold from basically 84 to 92. This isn't that stranglehold where, you know, we're not saying... Wait, whoa, you know, Mr. Perfect, Roddy Piper, Ted DiBiase, all these guys could have been champ. Right now, honestly, you have a part-timer as the champ that, and everybody's seen how the ratings have gone down. Yeah, he's good to have him chase, but honestly, if you have to use the belief that he's so invincible that kicking him in the nuts is the only way to beat Brock Lesnar, that's your problem right now. Yeah, Yeah. if you had yeah. to go to Dick Kick City all the time to basically beat Brock Lesnar, that smacks in the face of unbelievable plots in wrestling. I mean, Vince talk about twenty years ago, we don't want really to insult the audience's intelligence. Really kicking a dude in the dick, while logical and believable, that makes him less and less vulnerable unless like Goldberg Spears.
1: Exactly. And you know, you go back twenty years and he cut he that he had that famous little promo where he talks about we're not gonna insult your intelligence and you want realism, you want you know, you don't want fairy tales and all that other stuff and here we are twenty years later, he's kinda He's forgotten that or hasn't watched that footage in such a long time that he didn't, doesn't even know it existed. So, uh, yeah, so many underutilized guys. I mean, again, there's a whole podcast about underutilized guys, but Joe's definitely one that really sticks out as being criminally underutilized. I don't know now that he'll ever get the belt. I really thought, like you said, it doesn't need to be a four-year, five-year Hulk Hogan ring. He could have had the belt for a month. He could have had the belt, even even with Kofi. Like, when Kofi picked up the steam, you know, I was like, man, I don't care how long Kofi holds the belt. Just give him the belt. You can take it off of him the next pay-per-view. I don't care. Um, just give him his moment. And they did that. And I'm, I'm stunned, actually, that he's had the belt this long. Stunned. So, you know, he's had a run. You know, give Joe a run. I think he deserves a run. But for whatever reason... They don't see it.
0: I could think of plenty of guys he could lose the bell to. He could lose it to Bray. He could lose it to Joe. He could lose it. I mean, even in a fluke, maybe not Elias. I mean, maybe Kevin Owens or somebody out of the blue, except Dolph. I don't want to see Dolph with that bell. on I me. Mean. That's all gone. That's
1: the I, time. I, Yep. I,
0: there's probably somebody else that we aren't even thinking of that that probably should get a shot at the belt and even when I just thought honestly I thought it was gonna be one of those the way Kofi won I thought they were gonna screw us like the night Jericho won his unofficial first belt where none of it mm. ever happened and all this it other never stuff. happened. To this day, me and my brother talk about that never happened,
1: even though we saw yeah, we're it We would not TV. do the same thing. Yeah, we do the same thing. And yeah, it's that's, that's good
0: stuff. You know, and I'm glad Kofi won, so we don't have to keep going to the discussion like, oh, is The Rock black
1: enough? Even though The Rock does claim he's half Samoan too. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing, though. And black people have, are guilty of this as well, because we go, and then I saw a lot of these posts when Kofi won. There's always the well but when it came to Rock, you know, in WWE, or the well butt when it comes to Tiger. You know, yes, Tiger is the first, you know, black golfer that won a major. Well, but he's also half Asian. Well, Rock was, you know, the first black. Well, but he's also half Samoan. And not only is he also half Samoan, they really promote his Samoan heritage a lot more than they promote his African heritage from his father's side, to be honest. So, you know, it's always, you know, the grandson of High Chief Peter Mavia and the son of Rocky Johnson. You know, so... Yeah, it was just a weird dynamic with Kofi, and they didn't use it as a part of the storyline. I don't blame them, but if you knew, you knew, and when it happened, it was a big deal. I saw a video, of I think it was MVP and uh, Shelton Benjamin, they were watching it on a monitor somewhere, or watching at each other's house somewhere, and they were crying. And it reminded me of, forgive me, but it, it honestly reminded me of the night Barack Obama won the election in thousand eight, and the picture of Jesse Jackson, the, the video of Jesse Jackson just sitting there crying once the election results were finalized, because it was a big deal. And Obama's also a person that there's that well, but because you know he's Knicks. he's half white too. So um, yeah, but um, yeah, just um, the Kofi thing, man. I just if you knew if you knew how big of a deal it was, then it was a big deal when, once it happened. Again, I don't blame WWE for not making it a part of the storyline. They're a totally different type of company. They probably would have 20 years ago, um, but, you know, being PG, being publicly traded, they didn't want to shine a light on that. I understand it. So if you knew, you knew, and it meant a lot to you. So, you know, thank them for doing that. Thank Daniel Bryan, who um, I'm sure had no problem doing it because he was in the exact same position in New Orleans five years ago when nobody thought he could do it, and he did it, and that was a big moment also. So um, yeah, man, just uh, that COVID thing was just unbelievable and, and good stuff, and I'm I'm just stunned he still has a belt right now. <laughs>
0: yeah and there's so many things that pick up That first thing from the Obama thing hey there were black folks talking about yeah like you said he he's mixed man his dad is African as, as far as I'm concerned he's more black than most of us because if his dad's yeah. African you're from the quote motherland and that means you're yeah. already blacker than every bit of one of us and like I said Kofi from yeah. Ghana there should be no excuses oh but you know no he's black he's there's black no he's not, oh, no, no he's, a, oh yeah. he's not African American like damn it if you're gonna nitpick about everything oh yeah because he's not you know he's black he's from Africa and he's, he lives in <laughs> and he's an Ameri- probably American citizen so he's an african-american
1: he grew up in massachusetts i think he moved here when he was very little he's american he grew up in massachusetts like boston like no the dude doesn't have an accent i mean the only accent that they had him have when he was acting like a jamaican when he first debuted on the main roster back in like 2008 2009 so that was you know dude is american so yes i i was thinking the same thing there are people going to nitpick well we still haven't had a full-fledged african-american champion because kofi was born in ghana
0: and that's then suck. they're going to say, "Well, Booker T only won the the world heavyweight title, and all that." Yeah, that's and he another had that thing. have that too, and the the coffee well- thing. I thought that was going to end up being like Booker T, you know, basically everything that we were hoping that they didn't bring up ended up having the same result of Booker T against Triple H. Like, oh, you know, people like you don't deserve to be champ. I'm like, ah, yep. and I, I'm yep. glad I missed that during the, the reign of terror. I'm like, yeah, You're that probably would have turned me off and probably turn all most of the black fan base. I'm like, well, damn, that's what you think of us.
1: Well, damn. Well, and not only that, but no, did you do that? He didn't win the match. He should have won that match. How do you do all that in the buildup and he didn't win the match? That was the problem. Like, you know, it was a different time. They were ruthless aggression. They were still on the outskirts of the Attitude Era. So I understood they tried to, you know, they brought in his, you know, Booker T's past, you know, for armed robbery and all that stuff. You know, he spent time in prison. They brought all that up. But you do all that, and he loses. That was the big kick in the nuts. Like, he should have won the match. Like, fine to bring it up, but he has to win the match. What did you do all that for? Spending all that time building this guy as a sympathetic figure for him to lose the match. So, uh, yeah, that's where that storyline went wrong during the Triple H ran the terror. He shouldn't have won that match. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why, until now, because he is the Grand Poobah by NXT, Triple H got the the nickname Burial H because he, from 2001 to 2004, it seemed like he systematically went and killed... Mm -hmm and beat every former top WCW star, and he finished it off in 2015 when he beat Sting. So, you know, that was the problem with the, that Booker team match. It was the fact that they brought up his past and how he's overcome that, and he's a different person. He's a, you know, a great contributor to society, and then he goes out and loses. So, yeah, that was the problem. But, yeah, I mean, even, yeah, Booker got it too. I mean, you know, uh, Booker was the world champ. That didn't count. So, you know, so Kofi went in the, the belt with lineage. That world championship does not have lineage. I don't care what they say. The belt that Kofi has has lineage all the way back to Buddy Rogers, Bruno San Martino, you know, Bob Backlund, superstar Billy Graham, Hoko, and That's the lineage yeah. that people cared about. The belt Booker had, they try to tie that back to Ric Flair. I don't, I tie it. That lineage with that belt started in 2001. Um, whenever The Rock won it, I guess at SummerSlam 2001 or something.
0: Like that. Yeah, and i still think like think about this. Booker T beat Jeff Jarrett. He beat Scott Steiner to win those belts. And you tell mm-hmm. me that he can't beat Triple H. The hell is wrong with that? Out of all people, if he beat Jeff Jarrett for a belt, no, you can't yep. tell me beating Triple H is not possible. Nobody yep. can tell me that.
1: Yeah, but I mean that was just a problem with the product. Yeah, that's that'll always stick in my crawler. they did all that with the storyline, and he he lost the belt like for so what? Why? Why do we? Why we bring up this man's past? Like He could have waited until he brought his, he, you know, he put out a book, I guess, like a year or two ago. He could have waited until he put his book out to, sell his, to tell his story. He could have sold more books. If you told it on TV to make him a sympathetic character, he ended up losing. One of the most head-scratching decisions of all time.
0: Yeah, and I'm going back to Kofi, I'm like, you know what? This is for every black wrestler that actually had a legit chance at winning. This is for Ahmed yeah. Johnson. This is for Booker T. This yeah. is for you know maybe Tony Atlas maybe didn't have a shot. But you think about every black wrestler that was in the limelight. And like I said, Ahmed had injuries that derailed it. Yep. He was going to have a title shot against The Undertaker, and then he got hurt. Yep. And, and then yeah, he was winning the Intercontinental Belt, and then Farouk accidentally hurt him, which he tried to, to pay him back with the same type of injury. It's still, I mean, yeah, for those guys that came through and then we see him like well why wouldn't Ahmed Johnson have a shot at winning the belt and and all this other stuff why wouldn't Farouk have a shot at winning the belt why wouldn't you know Lashley have a shot at winning the belt why wouldn't Mark Henry have a shot at winning the belt all those guys that went through all those names that started coming back to my head as we went through why Shelton Benjamin didn't have a shot to win the belt you could easily have put him with Paul Heyman and he probably could have been one of those technical guys and those maybe Tony Blanchard type guys who could have won the belt that even if he held it for like a month or two or even, a, even yeah. a night, just like, hell, Kane held the belt for one night and then Austin won it back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, again, a lot of those guys, they, you know, Shelton comes to mind as this guy that they didn't find the right combination. You know, they, they tried they tried him solo on his own. He just didn't – they never could bring out his personality. And then they did give him a manager with an uh, aunt, Thea. <laughs> I don't uh, know if you remember that. Shelton's uh, Mama Thea. Oh, my God. From like 2009 – um, that was over a little bit, but, I mean, it's just, eh, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's certain reasons why Shelton didn't get to go, not from a talent standpoint, but, I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously the talking, the lack of verbal skills on the mic held him back and from, which is mostly the case with a lot of people. You hear stuff about him backstage, that he's the biggest, you know, character of them all backstage. He has a personality. He's a jokester and all that. It just doesn't translate, you know, on your TV screen when he's on in front of the camera. But, um, yeah, so, I, you I know. Yeah, just uh, damn that Booker T thing. Ah, really got me going. I'm just ah, it's really no, Travis.
0: No, I got you. It, it makes me feel some type of way when I, I watch it. Like, cause I so I'm a big fan of wrestling with regret, and I was watching the Reign of Terror, and everybody talks about the Booker T match, and yep. I just think, oh my God. I mean, honestly, if. If I didn't sort of not watch wrestling in that little window because we didn't have the accessibility to it, that probably would have stopped me right there. Because, honestly, last thing I want to hear as a black person now is like, oh, you're not good enough to do this, not good enough to do that. Last thing I need to do is even in my escape from reality to see that, I'm like, well, that's a show I'm not watching
1: anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, we. I guess so. You weren't watching, so you were what? You were in the student apartments at UMS. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: student apartments, yeah. All and right, all right, yeah, yeah. So, by then, I didn't, yeah, we. St- they still didn't add a whole bunch of other channels until probably after we left, but yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, so when I got lucky, we were in Hawks Landing, so that freshman year was the only time I didn't watch Raw, Watch, like I said earlier. Um. So once we got to Hawks Landing, we were watching Raw and on every single week, so we would suffer through the reign of terror, uh you know, for those years, and it would be nice, we'd be like, man, I'm sorry, watching Raw, but obviously, it's what we do, so we we watch Raw, Um, (laughs) but uh, it was bad, I mean, Triple H is kind of, I guess he's trying to make up for it now by being the Grand Poobah NXT, but those were some, Raw was just bad, and like 03, 04, it was terrible, it was bad, like, it was, it wasn't 1995 bad, it was close, you probably could rank 95, I think, I was watching, I was reading their list of uh, worst years in Raw recently, I think some of the top ones were definitely 95, um, 94, 95, 2015 they said was bad. 2013 was bad, they said. And then uh, like 2002, 2003. So just, uh, yeah, it's bad stuff back then, bad stuff. Just be happy you didn't see it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then watching ninety four, ninety five. yeah, I'm just getting into it. I mean, and honestly, while 94, 95 might have been bad you know, money wise, honestly, Brett and Owen in SummerSlam that was a match to be reckoned with. That was a that's probably one of the better the matches, match. yeah. I mean, and then I know they went over the top with the casket matches, Survivor Series, with uh Chuck Norris, you know, giving uh Jeff Jarrett roundhouse kicks while trying to fend everybody off. Uh, yeah, but I still thought that was still a pretty funny thing, I think that was a great way to sort of at least call back to that Royal Rumble match where everybody and their mother interfered in that match, had jumper, yep. and he was fending off everybody in that match until like I said until they knocked the urn out and that was it because yeah. and honestly there were so many things that irritated me about that no 93 World Rumble is what irritated me the most is like you know you have Savage as you know one of the last guys in there and all of a sudden he's going to think oh I'm going to try to pin Yokozuna no 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 I mean, no no
1: <laughs> That's when he, when he pinned him and he got eliminated because he, he, Yoko kicked out and sprung yeah. him outside of the ring, right? Yeah, yeah. that
0: is the least believable end yeah, of maybe a... Maybe not 94.
1: Well, well, well. It might have been... Not, I think 95 is when the downturn started. You know, wrestling was bad in 90, 95, just all around, even WCW. But, um, yeah, 94 was some good stuff. Bretton Owen, that storyline from the tail end of 93 all the way through 94 um, it was just so good. And that really carried the company, Um you know, through that year. And I mean, 95 was a bad year because of certain things. And, you know, and Vince was, you know, on trial for steroids during that part of 94, I want to believe. So, you know, Outlook was bad that way. But there was good stuff definitely in 94, especially with Bretton Owen. Just the storytelling there was just so good. Probably my my favorite stuff of 94, you know, throughout all of us and WCW and, um, you know, WWF at the time.
0: And man, the latter match between Sean and Razor—that's also. I mean, those are probably oh, the two 94. matches you yep. think of uh, that WrestleMania. And honestly, the the continuity they didn't use with Yokozuna. What happened with Yokozuna? Someone made a point where Luger hit him with the forearm and made him woozy. So when he tried to climb up do the bonsai drop on Bret, he just sort of got woozy. And 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 that they never use the continuity on that you because know. that's what happened. Luger hit him with that forearm and and basically set up. Brett winning the belt because of Yoko sort of like out of it and he falls and loses balance.
1: Yep, I mean, we see that now, but I mean, at the time we were 11 year old kids not thinking about that, you know, because they, they were marketing to us. We weren't following that intricately back then. Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's the problem with it now. I mean, the problem with it now is like, we're not the target audience. We got to remember that when we watch the product. We're not the target audience, okay? You know, it's, it's geared towards. You know, children And, you know, we just happen It's been a habit And it's what we do So we still watch wrestling Now, could they, you know Target to the children And still do stuff to, to make us happy? Of course But their main focus is kids And I guess they feel like In certain aspects um, Continuity isn't as important But some of the dumb stuff they do I think an 11-year-old could tell And be like, look, this doesn't make sense So... You know, that's a crush they've been using for a couple of years now that, well, we don't have to make sense because our, our target audience is, is children. And, uh, you know, you were a kid once and we didn't care about certain things back in the day and all of that. So I don't know, man.
0: I just think of some of these kids who probably now are maybe a little older who read Harry Potter books. I think they know continuity they, when they see it. They, yeah,
1: see, you know. yep. I agree. I agree. And they are definitely, the kids are definitely more sophisticated than we were, um, you know, back in our day because due to things like you said. The stories of Harry Potter, the internet's been out forever, so yeah, definitely, I would agree with that.
0: And also, think about this. You watch shows like Animaniacs and stuff like that now. Watch it now as an adult. Those jokes were not only aimed at kids. They were aimed for adults. So you can't tell me as pro wrestling, oh, we can't focus on adults. We, you know, we focus on kids. No, there's a way how Jim Crockett Promotions and how the old WCW forehand, they focus on the adult audiences. And, you know, because yep. those are the things back then you hear. It's a battle between good and evil. And sometimes you want to see people get their up as a result. And I think that... That WWE it does a big disservice now acting like, again, one, these kids have no money. The parents have the money. Yep. So you better yep. really focus, just like television has for a long time ago. They focus from basically how they did what? 18 to 45 you know because they don't care about old people even though they have more money than those people in those age ranges i feel like you have to have a show that has a broad appeal but just not pander to everybody it has to be Mm -hmm. something that everybody can can get into but just not feel like oh they're just trying to get my money
1: exactly you know you're right i mean you know for a long time i mean the simpsons was something that was able to strike the balance of marketing to to both little kids and adults it's something for everybody in the simpsons you know stuff like that so i mean yeah it's a crutch it's, it's not right but i it's a crutch they've been using for years so you know again like we said earlier we'll see whether you know the influence of paul Heyman, who is obviously great experience you know booking and directing an adult oriented product has any effect on the current wwe product on the raw side smackdown um again i don't think is gonna have that much say on creative. I don't know who's creative on that uh anymore. I think Road Dog is still there. I think he came back, or he's, he might be just an NXT now. I don't know. Um but I mean we'll see. We'll see what happens on the SmackDown side. Smackdown was really good when Road Dog was running. And then he kind of got fed up with Vince. I mean that first two years of the the new brand split from like 2016 to 2018 Smackdown was far and away the better show. You know, number one it's shorter. It's only two hours instead of three. Number two, the stuff was just more crisp. The storylines were crisper. Everything in ring was crisper. It just seemed like a different product. But now, you know, the brand split's pretty much dead, and uh, everything's kind of the same right now.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping that maybe they'll start their season premieres all of a sudden and start just sort of getting everything off the schneid. Just like AEW, you know, they're going to have their women's title match. It looks like they're going to have it on their debut and they're going to have the championship match or some type of championship match on the debut. I mean, even you look at the first Nitro, just Luger showing up that yep. was just like wow anything can happen mm-hmm. they've stolen yep. they've out wwf to wwf anything can happen lex luger shows up magically all this other stuff even though you think about it as a nothing burger of a match between hulk hogan and uh you know uh, ray trailer or, or big bubba rogers i forgot what he was at that point you know for the world title i'm like uh sure but you know
1: the visual luger man i mean he didn't say anything he just came out there and this his street clothes and and, then look towards the ring and you're like, holy crap, this guy was just on raw. Like, and it was a tape raw too. So he probably, he might've been on both shows that night. I can't remember. Uh, no, actually I think Rick was the first person to do that. So he wasn't. So he was on raw the previous week though. And, and then the next week's on Nitro and you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? So yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see, um, what happens when, when, when AEW, uh, starts here in October they got to do something to to make a splash that first night um and, and and get people to tune in and come back um so i mean we'll see what they can do
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to think what the biggest splash is, and everybody's going to say CM Punk would be the biggest splash. But then the question is, how long will you have him around? You have Jericho around, I guess, assuming he's in a part-time capacity. He'll be there, and he'll still be touring and things like that. And I just wonder, what do you do to make the big splash, and then how do you retain that audience?
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I I think that's... I just wish they would have shut up about it, because I've been reading, hearing things about their their approach towards whatever they're thinking negotiations are with Punk, and they've been very disrespectful and not professional-like. Um, that's really the only big splash you can make at this point. Because I mean, here's a guy that has not done anything wrestling with the exception of, you know, he signed that Pro Wrestling t sore last year before All In. He signed this, this year at StarCast. But outside of that Cole Cabana podcast, he really hasn't spoken much about wrestling in freaking five years. It'll be five years since that Cabana podcast came out. It came out uh, Thanksgiving Day 2014. It's almost five years ago. So he's really the only guy. Like, there's nobody else out there that you can bring back and like, holy crap. I mean, they're not going to try out John Cena. That's not going to get over. I mean, it will get over to, so I guess, the casual fan maybe, but that's not going to happen. He's a WWE guest. that's not happening. And I'm pretty sure he's still on the contract, so whatever rights he has outside of his movie making responsibilities he's owned by wwe until whenever you know so yeah that's the only guy i don't think there's anything else they can do for that opening show for people to be like oh okay i need to tune in next week i don't know i don't think there's anything else they can do um, yeah other
0: than the rock so, maybe and, and, and yeah and the rock's
1: not and, he, yeah he and the rock just said he's either. retired so he's not the rock i mean the rock could show up but he just said he's retired so and i don't blame him so um that's it. I, that's really the only thing out there. I just wish they would have gone about this differently and not kept talking about it. And now you got Punk responding, pretty much crapping on them like yeah, they've texted me and like if I'm going to negotiate, with you I'm not going to do it via text message. Like, we need to sit down and have a discussion. So he's pretty much crapped on them. Like it seemed like they're bushly because they're just trying to negotiate with me through text and all that. And like and even that they haven't been formal discussions. So uh, not to say he's not going to show up he could, but you know and the way punk is that we like we learned over the past couple of years, he's very stubborn. He's he can be very um, stick in the mud in his ways. He can, be, he can be grouchy. Feel like
0: he's slighted at any little like sense little. of you know. yeah,
1: exactly. So I mean, but yeah, that's the only thing. I mean, you know, is would be would be punk. I mean, nobody else is gonna leave WWE as far as I, I know whose contract's up that could possibly jump I mean even Ambrose coming I mean that was a big deal when it happened in Vegas that was cool but that's not big enough so yeah I don't know I don't know what they're doing that first night to get people to say oh I need to come back the second night because they need their Lex Luger moment on this first show like Nitro had that you know in 1995
0: yeah I, I like you said there's nobody big that I can think of that would move the needle I mean nope. what you're going to steal someone from TNA Nah, sure, that'll it's not going to happen. You know, Ring of Honor, I mean, they. you know, they're already, you know, there's nobody. I mean, happening. you just have to build your audience from the bottom up. And if you have to work with a lot of the independent fans to sort of get them going, I mean, that's something you might end up having to do. And just don't, you know, be a true alternative. Don't be what TNA said they were going to be. And then all of a sudden just act like they're basically a ripoff of Latter-day WCW.
1: Yeah, or as Jim Ross would say, WWE light. That's what TNA has done. I mean, you know, and TNA has had times where they've taken guys fresh off being on top in WWE and it still didn't matter. Like Kurt Angle came in in 2006. Fresh, you know, he was in ECW at the time, but he was still a big name. More, More importantly, Jeff Hardy. You know, Jeff Hardy left. He was champion like two weeks before he debuted in TNA. Still didn't matter. And I would argue that Jeff Hardy, even as champion, does not have the... The support of he has fans, but I don't think he's the star that CM Punk is. If we're comparing the impact CM Punk going to AEW would make, you know, as you know, as opposed to Jeff uh, Jeff Hardy going to TNA, fresh off of a run with the WWE Championship. So yeah, it's it's gonna take something big, and Punk's really the only thing. There's nothing else. I mean, nobody else out there because WWE's brought everybody back you know any any star from like the attitude era I and mean, they brought everybody back nobody has like a, a novelty to them nobody has a freshness to them we've seen all these guys you know so only person we haven't seen in a wrestling ring since 2014 since Royal Rumble 2014 was CM Punk so he's the only one
0: yeah I always feel like Paul Heyman talked about if you were to build a company from the ground up, what you need is you need one legend to be sort of your ambassador. You need a bunch of young guys uh, to build for the future. You need one solid worker. And then you need maybe somebody who's really good on the mic that I feel like maybe I might be messing it up a little, but I feel like those guys would be the cornerstone right now. You need the one legend. Who is the one legend for AEW? Is it Jericho?
1: Chris Jericho. Okay. It's Jericho. Jericho's and, your legend. And He's I guess legend.
0: Cody's the guy for the present. The guy for the future might be MJF. It might be, who knows, for all we know, it might be Jungle Boy years down the road. Just yeah. the fact that his background, you know, his dad being Luke Perry and all this other stuff, that might be something you build on. And then you need somebody who's a solid, solid hand, solid technician that, that might fit. I mean... I don't know who that is. Maybe that is Omega. I guess I, I don't know. I haven't really watched a lot of Omega's work other than the doll match, and and that probably isn't the best thing to to
1: use. Yeah, you need to go back and uh and watch some New Japan stuff because <laughs> uh, he's uh he's tremendous. But yeah, I mean, if you look, I mean, Paul Heyman he used the blueprint in ECW, and I really only can think of the legend part. But if Terry Funk was a legend in ECW. You know, you could say the good worker was I don't know. Uh, Say the good worker was Rob Van Dam. Um, Maybe you know, Shane Douglas really, as the
0: uh, as Sh- the stalwart.
1: I don't know. Yeah, Shane Douglas as a stalwart. Um, you know, because they were building everything around Shane Douglas. I mean, he was the centerpiece of that company from like '94 to like '97. 90, it was pretty much Shane Douglas. So um, yeah. So I mean, you got Terry Funk, your legend. Shane Douglas is the guy you're building stuff around. You got RVD. You know, kind of your, your your worker and. Um, Know your up and comers, maybe. I don't know. uh, I mean, there's so many guys were in and out. I don't know if they really had an up and comer. Maybe Lance Storm was your up and comer because he stayed around for a while before he went to WCW in like 99. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that because I mean, Paul Heyman's used that formula before. If AEW can do that, that would be great for them.
0: Yeah, you know what? I think, honestly, if he were around, Dusty would have probably been a,
1: a crucial. Part of AEW, if he were. Still- oh yeah, no, there's no, there is no doubt about it. Just look at and again, you know, when you get the chance, Dusty was a big part of the NXT booking. Um, you know, he's had a great deal um, in the building of Bailey's character, and I still don't think we've seen the Bailey character on the main roster that we saw in NXT. The Bailey character on NXT was primed to be the female John Cena. She was going to sell so much merchandise and appeal to so many kids that it was going to be ridiculous. And we still have not really seen that on the main roster. And she's been on the main roster for freaking, like, three years. Um, Dusty had an integral part in that character. So many other characters. Um, Because, you know, he was was in the performance center. He was working for NXT at the time um, that he passed away. So... um, Yeah, he definitely, I think he would have definitely went to AEW, especially, you know, Dustin's there. Or maybe, I mean, no, I don't think they would have held on to Dusty despite them, because Vince has done that. You know, he did it with Owen back in the day. He refused to let Owen out of his contract to go to WCW, uh, as was famously told. So he might have held on to Dusty. I don't know. To keep him from there, I don't know. But, I mean, if if he was free and clear to go, I definitely think he would have been a part of AEW and the creative team, and it would have been fun to see, um, you know, what he could have done for this promotion as it's getting launched.
0: And they said one of the last tweets he had put up was Becky Lynch equals future yep. world champion. So mm-hmm. the fact he saw it yep. coming and you saw the he impact saw of all those guys in NXT when they did the 10 ring, how they were most yep. impacted by Dusty. You could tell mm-hmm. that uh Dusty had a huge impact on those guys and yep. you can tell that. And in just like going back to when DDP, when he, I, I watched a video when, like the on the passing of Dusty Dusty can see the hidden talent in you that maybe that even that wrestler didn't see and, and yeah, the fact that D D P even said that it it the fact that it was a guy like hey sometimes you have to take that shot and sometimes you got to do you know you gotta as long as you believe i believe and yeah, i feel like exactly. that's something and you don't see that a lot and probably maybe a lot of mentors in wrestling anymore i i don't know how it is anymore but i, I you know you gotta have that one person
1: that believes in you and yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and Dusty was that person for so many people, like you said, with that 10-bell salute. I mean, again, all, everybody you see on the main roster that came through NXT was influenced by Dusty in some way because he was down there when they were coming through NXT, from Becky Lynch on down the line, to Charlotte, to Sasha, to Finn, to, to, to all those people, even though you know Finn was you know, in Japan for years. But just he put his stamp on so many of those talents that came through NXT that his contribution to the business is sorely, 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 sorely sorely missed. And that's the problem with with life and getting older. And, you know, we're losing so – in wrestling, we're losing so many people that have had such an influence and that can still be an influence to, to the current talent today. You know, obviously, Harley Race just passing, him, and um, it's another bright mind for the business gone. And, uh, you know, just hoping that um, they have instilled enough in this next generation that that generation, when they get to be in their 50s and 60s, they can pass it on, like Triple H is doing. Triple H is a perfect example. Shawn Michael because he's down in Florida now. of That generation that learned, um, you know, under your Pat Pattersons and under your Dusty Rhodes that are now paying it forward by teaching the next generation. So hopefully we do that. The cycle continues as you know some of these wrestlers from the '80s are getting older.
0: Yeah and like I said especially we mentioned Triple H he wrestled under uh Killer Kowalski and things like that yep. I mean that's a link probably one of the last things and everybody tends to forget he has an old school wrestling style mentality and I feel like some people are actually hoping that you know that Triple H actually gets a chance to show what he can do and I feel mm-hmm. like even with some of the stuff NXT does that can be integrated into the current WWE format and still make people money, still be you know friendly to the board of and the, you know the board of of delegates and all those people, the corporate board and all that other stuff. And, hey, we can do this stuff and and still you know see our bottom line go up and all this other stuff. The Ravens get popular and I, I feel like that's huge.
1: Yeah, and if you think about it, Triple H is around the same age. He just turned fifty the other day. So he's actually a couple of years older, I think, uh, than Vince was when Vince got the company from his dad in, in nineteen eighty three or whenever it was. Um, so he's older, and he's been under the learning tree of Vince for you know the past six, seven years, however long it's been. Um, I, I you know if you know, I really think if they want to hand the ball off, they definitely can hand the ball off. If this XFL thing you know kicks off, which it won't, but if for some sh- stroke of magic stroke of luck that it does kick off you will be they will have no choice but to uh to give um triple h uh the reins and Vince kind of said which you don't believe you know he said in the last investors call that he's out of the weeds now which I don't believe but you know he said because he brought Heyman in and and Bischoff and what Smackdown is doing he's out of the weeds which again I do not believe but I think it's going to take the XFL to totally take off with Vince to totally remove himself from the process and to give Triple H uh, the full control that Vince had, you know, back in the 1980s when he was just running things with his lieutenants. I mean, Triple H has his lieutenants underneath him, you know, with guys like um, Adam Pearce and um, and some others. I'm trying to think. It's, you know, Shawn Michaels, Road Dog, guys like that. He has his lieutenants. He has his structure in the same mold that Vince did. Give him the ball and let him run with it. And let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of those... <clears throat> things hopefully, you know, the XFL does sort of flourish because everybody talks about Vince does everything. Vince, like I said, mm-hmm. when Vince retires or dies, they're going to need at least a good a dozen, dozens and dozens of people to do all the things that he used to do. And, yep. I mean, now... You know, yeah, back then in the 90s, like, oh, I'm going to live forever. That sounded like that was a great idea. And now I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to get worse when he turns 90 and he's still running the company. And, you know, I I can believe he's going to live till he's 100 at least.
1: You know, it's also an age thing, too. So, again, like Triple H, I mean, yes, Vince has grandkids, but Triple H, again, like I said, he's a little bit older than Vince was when Vince took over, which means he's a little bit closer to – that demographic that Vince is trying to appeal to. Uh, Triple H has little girls, not little girls, but I think they're like God, they're like 12, 10, and 8 or something like that. So he has children that are the age group of what Vince is trying to um, attract. So he has a better understanding of what they want to see than Vince does, Vince being a 73, 74-year-old man, how old he is now, you know. So it's a lot of stuff, and, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, don't hold your breath, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, and I always wonder, even once Vince is gone, the power struggle, honestly, I mean, it's going to be centered around probably Triple H, Stephanie, and Shane. Those are going to be the three factors in what happens in the future because Shane left WWE for a while, worked with some USC stuff to the work on getting distributions and stuff and things like that. And I feel like his experience from outside the company and the last name itself just basically helps with his pedigree, even though Vince doesn't seem like he wants to give Shane the company with really smacks in the face of like,
1: what in the hell is going on? From everything I hear, like Michelle Wolfson, who's actually there. um what is the title? She's on the board, or whatever. She's one of the top so it's like Vince, Michelle Wolfson and George Barriel, so like your top guns and then Paul and then Triple H and Stephanie. Those are your top five people in the corporate structure of WWE as it stands right now. And then, like, I think uh, from what I heard, I think she's actually in line to, to take over the day-to-day of the company from a business standpoint, you know, if something were to happen to Vince, or once he's, you know, if he does relinquish power and then, you know, Triple H would continue to oversee creative and then also have a freedom. I mean, he, he oversees creative, but we really know who oversees creative, you know, just like with Paul Heyman. It's Vince. But, you know, Triple H would have full control over that to where to implement his vision. But from a day-to-day business standpoint, that would be Michelle Wilson. Um, and I don't know where Shane fits in because he's not an officer anymore. Like, when he left, he left. That's why he's, like, on screen as a character. So I don't know what his role is. And like you said, it's kind of messed up. It kind of tells a joke I've heard a lot. Like, Triple H is a son that Vince never had. I'm like, that's messed up. But, um, I mean, yeah, it'll be, you know... It'll be interesting to see what happens I mean, if that day ever comes.
0: Yeah, that's like if Vince Sr. gave it gave the company to Vince's other brother. and uh, Exactly. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Exactly. Well, sorry, Vince. You probably were the one more prime to take that company forward. But now I'm just going to give it to the other brother, which I can't even remember his name because they talked about it so much on like Sol Monster about how they were going to have, I think WCW was going to have like a Vince's brother show up on TV. Maybe it was, <laughs> yeah, maybe it yeah, was yeah. WCW with somebody, but yeah, they were going to have Vince's brother show up on TV. Rod, Rod McMahon, that's it. If Rod McMahon took over the company instead of Vince, who knows what it would have been like? He probably still would have gave the company to Vince. Like, nah, I'm, this is not my thing.
1: Uh, I'm good. I don't want to do this. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll see, man. It's, you know, it's definitely interesting to follow and watch. You know, the stock price has soared. I'm disgusted. I didn't get in on it um five, you no, know, six years ago when it was at ten dollars right before the network launched, and it went from like ten to thirty. And then, you know, it hovered around 20 for years. And then once they started with that TV deal, it just skyrocketed, like quadrupled overnight and just, uh, you know, it's been ruined. So good for him. I mean, it's not a stock that, it's not a stock for the long term. It's really been driven by the TV deals. You know, it's only gone up in a significant amount due to the launch of the networks. That's when the stock really doubled. It went from 10 to 20 or 10 to 30. And then this new TV deal, um, that was the next time that it went up. So, yeah, regret not getting stuck. But, you know, the business is good. Um, you know, House shows, uh, not good. But overall, <laughs> the business is OK right now and they can get by for right now. But there are warning signs that they, they kind of need to take care of. And we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. And especially the PR hit they took with pairing with Saudi Arabia and that uh, uh, yeah. I you know what to me, those Saudi Arabia events after. OK, I watched the first one. Uh, But after that, and after hearing all the the Jamal Khashoggi stuff and how the government basically tried to kill one of his own citizens because they dissented, that basically made everything else non-canon. So I never saw the the match with Braun and and Brock. I never saw the disaster that ended up being Goldberg versus Undertaker because you know what? To me, those things are non-canon, and they did not happen in the realm of the, quote, WWE universe. So I just... Didn't really pay those things any mind.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing I watched after everything got dirty with Saudi Arabia was I did watch the Shawn Michaels and Triple H match versus Taker and Kane. I was just like, this is disgusting. And then after that, I'm "I'm not doing this. I'm not down with it. It's just, this is dirty. I wish they could get out of the deal, but you can't get out of the deal because, you know, it could be a safety concern. So they're pretty much stuck. They should have never done the deal in the first place, but... Um, it is what it is, and we're just gonna live with them doing Saudi shows twice a year for the next like eight years. And uh, you know, only choice we have is to not watch the shows, and I'm not gonna watch them.
0: Yeah. Hey. Next up, the next deal: North Korea. Let's go. I mean, let's go WWE in China if you're gonna go all that way. If you want to show yeah. your glo- global, worldwide, and you don't care about really what the blowback is, let's go China. Let's go North Korea. Let's go. Yep. Where else do we want to go? Where where there's dictators and stuff and ridiculous things? Those are the, probably the biggest three. But you know, let's do that and let's see what happens. I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah i mean we'll see i mean well you know if you do remember wcw did a, a show in korea back in uh it might have been south no i thought it was north yeah north korea uh, yeah collision in korea back in like 94 95 93 whenever that was you know and they, they promoted it as you know we're just trying to bring peace through wrestling and you know obviously social media wasn't around back then but so they didn't get as much they probably didn't get the heat that you know WWE's getting today for working with Saudi Arabia, but still, um, you know, stuff like that has been done where we've dealt, you know, dealt with other governments that are shady. But uh, yeah, this one's just in bad taste, especially due to the Khashoggi um, murder, just in bad taste. But again, like I said, I, I don't think they can get out of the deal. So there's another little of it and not watch it.
0: And that concludes part one of my interview with Andre Watson. Next time, I'll pick up my interview with Watson where we discuss what it was like attending WrestleMania, not once, but on multiple occasions, as well as how he prepares for traveling to the events. As always, if you know someone who might enjoy this episode or any other previous episodes, please feel free to share. You can find the link to this and previous episodes on the Sports Refuge website. Or you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Stitcher Radio, and wherever else podcasts are heard. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to The Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at TheSportsRefuge, on Instagram at SportsBlog, Sports and on Facebook at the Sports SportsBlog. Thank you for listening.